With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It's Sunday, June 20th. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there and to anyone who is celebrating Father's Day and missing their father. I know how that feels. So here's to you, Big Al. Sorry you're missing all the fun these days. Today, we are airing the second part of our interview with economist Diane Swank. She's the chief economist, actually, of Grant Thornton. Today, we're going to discuss what's going on with inflation. Is it likely to persist? And what's going on in the housing market? Here is the second part of our interview with Diane Swank. Okay, so let's talk about inflation, which is rising prices. So, yep. all right, so I go on network TV and I give them the Diane Swank mantra. Number one, we are comparing where we were to a year ago. And a year ago, we were frozen solid. We did not have yeah. an economy, right? Right, right? Number two, supply chain issues, which are weird. And three, there is surging demand. Do you expect inflation to be higher for longer than maybe Jay Powell thinks? So right now, if, if let's say we look at two years ago, we're up two and a half percent from a year from two years ago. Two and a half percent is way hotter than yeah. it's been in the previous decade. So what should we expect in terms of inflation going forward? You know, I mean, this is the great unknown, right? And I, you know, I really think the Fed did a poor job of preparing the markets mm. and the overall economy for what a flare in inflation was going to look like. It was not hard several months ago. I had in a piece, you know, hey, you know, we can get by May 5% inflation year look over year that. on CPI. There we are. You know, <laughs> wasn't hard to do given the fact that some prices fell a year ago and that prices were flaring and that these bottlenecks, you know, I mean, we've got a global pandemic and you've still got a pandemic anywhere is a pandemic everywhere. You've still got a pandemic going on in parts of the world, even in China, which is still mucking up the supply chain. There is a good argument to believe that we will see much of this inflation, it was going to shift as we shift away from, I mean, the fact that consumers say, hey, we've had it. They got, you know, two trillion amassed in savings along mm. with all the stimulus we've got out there. And, you know, in July, the child tax credits and the monthly payments kick in um, for families to help them out a little bit to maybe get some child care. But, you know, these are important things because, you know, you've got all this amassed, yet consumers said, you know, I don't like what you're asking for cars right now. Mm -hmm. It's a little too expensive. I don't like what co houses cost. I don't care how low mortgage rates are. And their attitudes sour. You know, high prices are the ultimate corrector of high prices, right? Mm. It's 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 the bridge between supply and demand. And it either brings supply up, which it's doing, 
or brings demand down, which is also doing both of those things. Then you're going to rotate into, you know, airfares, everything, you know, returning hotel room rates and surge pricing. I think we'll see inflation calm down as we get into 2022. But is it going to calm down enough for the Fed not to get a little bit antsy on their patients and worry more about inflation? And that's, I really think one of the biggest policy mistakes, you know, there's a lot of room for error here. And one of the errors that I think is likely is that the Fed, you know, many on the Fed field are getting behind the curve on inflation. You saw that they are worried about it. They're not tone deaf. They see the prices and they're surprised. And they could get a little more aggressive on rate hikes because we're compressing everything. You okay, know? wait. So let's say if you say prices should calm down by 2022, what do yeah. you think that means? Like, okay, so yeah. let's just, let's, let's use our baseline. Let's say two and a half percent would be a little bit hot and they'd have to look at it. But what do you think that like, if we get into 2022, what do you think we're looking at in terms of price increases? What percentage do you think will be up by year over year? You know, by the end of 2022, I think the, you know, core PCE, which is what the Fed watches, I think that's going to be a little warmer than two. And that's what they say they want. That's excluding food and energy, but the shelter costs are going up. They say they want that. The question is, will they actually live with it once they get there? And more than two is what? Two and a half, three? Two and a quarter, what? yeah. Two and a quarter. Two and, and a quarter. That, is your view that Powell is really going to try to hold the line on this? You know, I think it's very difficult for him to hold the line on overshooting on inflation when you're the head of a central bank that's a central bank to the world. And, yeah. um, and they won't know for sure. But it's mm-hmm. easy to make a mistake. And it's easy to then bring rates up. The question is how rapidly. And, you know, they want to go slow and they're thinking about the last decade, but there's nothing that tells us this will be anything like the last decade. Right. I mean, some of the things that are in place, as he said, are still in place. But we also had, you know, I mean, the good news is what could help all this? We all learned to use all this electronics that we didn't know how to use, that we had sitting on our desks, and we didn't know how to use them to their fullest, certainly, or in our palms of our hands. And we learned to use and adopt existing technologies in ways we never thought possible. And you're eliminating some jobs permanently due to that. Mm-hmm. You know, you already see it. You know, you go and you can make your whole order without ever... And pay for it without yep. ever talking to a person. Even in a restaurant sitting down, I just did that sitting outside with my son somewhere. So those things are important that could offset some of these inflationary um, pressures that we see. But I, I think it's going to be hard. And I think that there is a risk that we get in. I don't want to get in a boom bust cycle. Yeah. I like the boom. And we want, we want a long expansion. And this is going to be hard. You know, and, and I just I was running the numbers yesterday, Lifter, you know, like if if some of the most aggressive people on the Fed were to be king for a day from mm-hmm. those dot plots that we see, you can get this economy on thin ice and feeling pretty chilly by the end of 2023, early 2024. Ugh. And you could slip through again in yeah. 2024. And that's something that, you know, I worry about. Now it would take really aggressive moves, but you know, that it's a possibility is worrisome because boy, you know, we know recessions disproportionately affect certain people. Inflation, you don't want to tolerate it to a point that it erodes purchasing power and we have a repeat of the 70s. But, you know, I grew up in the 70s. Remember, you know, 80% of wages in the 70s were, you know, set by cost of living adjustments that were tied to the CPI. It was baked into the cake. Any increase you saw in gas prices, you're going to get in wages. But it created a vicious cycle. And it is interesting that a lot of 
money managers, and there's a lot of investors who have grown up in a period where they've never experienced inflation, which is so fascinating, None. right? None. I mean, we're at the, you know, I mean, it, yes, it is fascinating. And, you know, there's no muscle memory for this. No, none. Okay. Diane Swank, housing market, completely insane. Shortage of houses. Will this get worked out over time or are we going into another weird housing boom? You know, this is a really great question. So first of all, you know, consumers have already said, eh, we don't like these high prices, mm-hmm. we, you know, and, and home sales have come off their highs. Builders are frustrated because they can't get materials, they can't get workers, and they can't build the homes. And mm-hmm. even as lumber prices and material prices come down, they're still way higher than they were pre-pandemic. And so they can't build the number of homes they want to build. And, you know, it's really hard because it's crowding out first-time buyers. The other thing that's happening is investors have returned to the market, institutional investors, to buy homes to new homes to flip them to rent instead of sell. Mm. And um, they're making, I mean, Houston's huge in this market. And they're making really good money on that, on the rentals. And that is, you know, also further distorting the market and keeping first-time buyers out of the market of owning a home and moving up that ladder of wealth creation. And millennials were already late to the game. They were delayed because they graduated into the Great Recession and the financial crisis and were delayed because of that. And they finally got some catch-up and now they're frustrated. A lot of our problems is not having affordable housing. It is a lot of the zoning laws that we see in cities that actually are against, um, that work against climate change, that make Mm -hmm. things less dense and more urban sprawl. And, you know, even having two and three flats in a city, it's banned in many places now, which is what made many cities beautiful actually. Mm, mm-hmm. And that was a way to get people into home ownership. And also they could rent it out to one of their relatives or to someone else. They could live above someone they were renting to. All of those dynamics, you know, we're, we're derailing the path to building wealth, which is really important. And also we're not building enough um, affordable housing because of these local zoning laws. So the housing market, you know, it's already cooling on its own because price is its own equalizer. And even at these low rates, it's gotten to be ridiculous. That doesn't mean we won't see some of this show up in the in inflation. It will. It comes in a weird way in the inflation numbers and it takes a while, but it does show up. And that's why I'm a little warmer on inflation than some as we get into 2022 than others um, as we get into 2022. But I think, you know, this is something that you really have to start thinking about is, you know, a lot of baby boomers are finally, sellers think this is the best time to list. And yep. they're, finally, they're finally listing. And buyers say, it's the worst time to buy since the height of the pandemic. You know, that will equalize some things. I mean, obviously, but. But but is it is it fair to say, I mean, we often will get questions from people who are like, okay, I've been outbid 25 times. I, is it fair to say like rent for a while, chill out, see where we are in a year? Yeah. I mean, like, it seems crazy to, to yeah, enter this market I mean, in a frenzy. Well, and, and I think all the urgency, I mean, we know that, you know, the low mortgage rates unleashed what was really a huge amount of pent-up demand for first from first-time buyers that hadn't yet bought. And then they needed space all at once. Right. You know? And it created an urgency. And that urgency is abating. You know, all of a sudden the minute you buy a home, what do you buy? You buy a car. They yeah. go one, two, they go together. And, you know, all that urgency really had distorted the markets. And, you know, the market couldn't clear in the period of time it needed. You know, and then also people bought second homes, you know, they started and they bought big cars and pickup trucks are the thing now, you know, it's a lifestyle thing. They don't even use the back of the pickup truck, but they want to tow their boats because that was how they, you know, spent their pandemic and quarantine. 
work from home, hybrid work here to stay or maybe jumping the gun on that trend? You know, um, I find it interesting. So it will be here for a while. And the question is, you know, how will it evolve? And I think people are looking at it as a revolution instead of an evolution. We, you know, I was in, I have to tell you, in my office, you know, they had flexible um, time on Fridays and, you know, because I had economic data coming out on Friday, my team had to be there. And so we were there on Fridays, but, you know, you could roll bowling balls around because people were working effectively from home and it increased their productivity one day a week working from home instead of being in the office. That's a little different than what we all had to do in the middle of this crisis, work from, Mm -hmm. you know, I live from work instead of work from home, I think Mm -hmm. is the way I think of it. And I'm six feet away from my full TV studio in this office right now I'm sitting in, Mm -hmm. which was once my daughter's room. And she's upset that I reclaimed it and redecorated it. It really is an interesting issue because I look at the tech behemoths and I look at the financial CEOs and they're all the ones that are the first ones that are snapping up space in real estate markets in places like downtown New York. You know, it's because what do you lose? You lose the mentoring and then and the networking that you need in your young people. And then all of a sudden you wonder why they're being poached when, the, you know, we've got people who've never been in an office before. With us. You know, but what do you think about David Solomon of Goldman Sachs, James Gorman from Morgan Stanley, that they've come out really kind of hardcore and said, like, I don't want to see people in restaurants if they're, you know, if they're not in the office. I'm not in agreement on that side of it. I think I think we've got some hybrid of work from home. I think we're going to find that it's really hard to get all the people we need to get in the people in the office at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I also think we figured out that some things are, are actually done better, remote and virtual. Well, thanks again to Diane Swank. She's such a great friend, and I really am so grateful for her. She's always willing to share her wisdom with us, even when she's kind of shoehorning us into lots of other things. So thank you to Diane, and thank you for listening, because you know what? This show, it's all about you and trying to give you the best kind of content we can the kind that will help you get through your days. Now, that can be a little economic boot camp, but it can also be answering your financial questions. Don't forget to send us your questions. The email address, askjill at jillonmoney.com. Askjill at jillonmoney.com. And today, why don't you do something nice, not just for your father, do something nice for someone else today. It's going to make you feel better. Tell you, it will. Grit, growth, grace. Happy Father's Day. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 